As you can see from the table in the front, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today, so I hope our time in God's Word together will be preparing your heart for that as we eat and drink in remembrance of our Lord Jesus and what He has done for us and accomplished for us. I want to begin our time together at this point by talking about our target audience, who our target audience is as a church. Who are we trying to please? Um, What demographic are we going after? These are important issues, certainly in business. Uh, If you don't know who you're trying to reach, you probably won't reach them. And in business, you want to understand who you're trying to reach and what they're looking for, and you provide the product. And everyone's trying to please someone, so I'm just going to ask the obvious question. Who are we trying to reach? Who, who is our demographic? What is our demographic? Um, who are we going after? Churches talk about this. Lots of dollars are spent uh, with consultants trying to figure out who you're going to reach, what kind of community. Usually it ends up being the affluent. Um, oftentimes it ends up being uh, the young, but you don't want them too young because if they're too young, they're not affluent enough. So you want old enough people who have money, but you want to look good, so you want to be young, and on and on it goes. Who's our target audience? Well, the Bible says something about this in Second Corinthians in a roundabout way, and I'd just like you to hear it, and then I'll have you turn to the exact text. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians. It's going to really help us. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? In other words, have you been under the illusion, Corinthian fickle Christians, he's saying to them, that we've been trying to please you? Have you been under the illusion that all along it's been about making you happy? And then he goes on to say something really, really important about target audience. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. In other words, we've been trying to please God all along. All along, we've been going after the approval of the most affluent of all. And the one whose opinion matters above and beyond everyone else's all along since the very beginning, we've been trying to make God comfortable in our services. And then he goes on to explain, and, but that's for your benefit. Because if God is honored with us, us preaching Christ, his great son, who he sent into the world to save sinners, then he will be honored and he matters most. And it will be good for you and your spiritual growth, Corinthians. Well, that's the sermon for today. Let's close in prayer. It's it's not really, sorry. Um, Some of you are pretty excited about that, maybe. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we find that quotation. And we're going to look closer at it in context this morning. Because it's so very helpful. It's so very helpful because we do lose sight of things sometimes and and we begin to think wrongly about who we're trying to honor and please and who we're trying to win and how we're trying to win them. And the Corinthian church is in a state of confusion because of that. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to help them. And we're in chapter 12 together as a church. He's, He's defending 
the legitimacy of his authority. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, he calls himself an apostle of the Lord Jesus by the will of God. And if you are an apostle, a true apostle, it means you speak with the authority uh, of the one who has commissioned you. So he speaks with the authority of Christ. And, and yet the Corinthians, because they're enamored with celebrity, the Corinthians, because they're enamored with all of the wrong things, including their own selfish desires, have begun listening to false apostles and have begun listening to things that are not true about Christ, different gospel, different Christ, different spirit, and they're being led away into affirming a different religion. And so the Apostle Paul is strongly but lovingly urging them to come back, and if they accept him and his apostleship, with that will come him and his Christ, and him and his gospel, and, and, and they'll, they'll be one back. And so where we'll be this morning is in chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verses 11 and following. And if you're not used to sarcasm in church, hang on to your bonnet, if anyone today would wear a bonnet. But you get the idea. He, he, he's utilizing a lot of sarcasm because he's, re, he, he, he's doing anything necessary to win them back over because it's so important. He'll do anything he cares that much. Okay? And so let's begin working our way through, and eventually we'll get to that passage that I opened with in verse 19. But for now, if you would, look with me at verse 11, where the Apostle Paul, in love, says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. I have been a fool. Now, why would he say that? He would say that because he's already picked up this fool uh, uh, motif, this fool theme in chapter 11. Uh, he says in 11.1, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness for sake of argument. Chapter 11, verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if, I, even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. The reason he says, I'm a fool because as we've seen, and if you're just joining us, I'll just bring you up to speed. It's utterly foolish to think that you somehow win and earn the favor of God. Okay? It's utterly foolish. It's, this is like Christianity 101. Christianity 101 is, hello, my name is Pat and I have a problem. Right? I mean, in other words, I'm a sinner. I've violated God's law, and a violation of God's law merits condemnation. And so for me to say, I have done wonderful things, is for me to be a, to be a big fool. Only fools would say, look what I've done, and God is so happy. Look what I've accomplished, and God is so happy. I'm so wonderful. In the spiritual realm, that's utter foolishness. Now, maybe in athletics, or maybe in academics, or maybe in other realms, you can boast about your accomplishments. But in the spiritual realm, since we are fallen sinners, we can't boast in ourselves. That would be like the stupidest thing on earth, and as anti-Christian as you could be. And these guys are claiming to be Christians, and the Apostle Paul says, they're just boasting about themselves and all they've accomplished? All right, I've had it. I, too, will match wits. 
And so he talks about all of his suffering and all of his endurance and all the things he's gone through. And earlier in chapter 12, how God gave him special extraordinary experiences and special extraordinary revelation. We learned about that last week in chapter 12. But he's saying, look, it should never have come to that. Christianity is about what? It's about Christ. And so that's why it's always about Christ. It's all about what he's done. That he gave himself up for us, right? While we were still helpless, Christ died for our sins. Romans chapter 5, we're God's enemies. Christ accomplishes redemption. He takes our sins away. He credits us with his perfect life of obedience. God accepts us based upon our trusting, not in ourselves, that would be foolish, in trusting in him. And so he, he, in chapter uh, 12, verse 11, he's saying, I'm a fool. This is not how Christians should be thinking. I did it for your benefit. You should have commended me. You should have accepted me because I preached Christ. I told you, I explained to you how salvation is of the Lord, that it's only by grace and it's only through faith, only in the finished work of Christ. That's how Christians should think. That's how Christians should defend themselves. It, it's about him. And so here where he says, this business about, I'm a fool, you forced me to it, I ought to have been commended by you, that's why. That's why. It would be ridiculous to boast in yourself. Christians boast in Christ. Then if we keep going, are you with me? Enough drama for, for figuring that out? Then in verse 11 he goes on to say, here's why, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles even though I'm nothing. You should have accepted me because, understatement, I was not at all inferior to your so-called super apostles. Right? Either they're calling themselves that, or the Corinthians are calling them that. Oh yeah, we've got Paul, but you know what? These guys, they've got the extra special stuff. And they call us to go above and beyond and do extra special stuff. And, and, and God is pleased. And so we're going to be like them. And, and so they're either calling themselves some kind of super apostles or the Corinthians are calling them that. And the apostle Paul here, no doubt, is doing it in a mocking way. In a mocking way. These super apostles, that, that's, not, that's not a badge of honor to have S on your shirt. Caped or not. These guys, in the name of being apostles of Christ, have stolen our vocabulary. They talk about Christ, but it's not the same Christ. They talk about the gospel, but it's not the same gospel. And the apostle Paul says the whole thing is demonic. If you would, you can go to chapter 11 and see this so you don't take my word for it. But in chapter 11, beginning in verse 3, And I realize this is pretty hard-hitting stuff. This isn't for the faint of heart. But again, the apostle of love, think 1 Corinthians 13, cares so much about Christians, he doesn't want them to be misled. He cares so much about people, he doesn't want them to be misled. And so he's willing to take the gloves off. And he's willing to mock and make fun if it means winning people over to see straight spiritually. So I hope we can, we can do that together. In verse 3 it says in chapter 11, But I am afraid that as the servant, serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. 
Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. See, the super apostles are the ones peddling a different Jesus. Still talking about Jesus, but then it's not the real one. Verse 6 then says, Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So, it doesn't make any sense, he's saying, back in verse 11 of chapter 12, that you would think me inferior to these super apostles. Again, understatement. Then he says, even though I am nothing. Because he doesn't want to be boasting himself because that would be foolish. So, I'm nothing. It's all about Christ. But if you want to compare notes or resumes, I've got one. It's no worse than theirs. I might be a nobody, but I'm not a nowhere man sitting in a nowhere land making nowhere plans for nobody. I represent somebody. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ready to keep going? Again, not about him. I'm a nobody, but I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's everything. He's the one you've got to know. He's the one you need for forgiveness. Let's keep going in verse 12, unpacking further reasons he should have been accepted. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. And just momentarily, I want to stress the signs of a true apostle. We're going to see what those are. The signs of a true apostle, they weren't performed by those super apostles in their bathrooms where nobody could see or in their dreams or in their imaginations or in their hearts. I know it's true or in some kind of weird vision with some kind of weird plates on their eyes. No, The the signs of a true apostle, the signs of a true apostle were performed objectively in history before you, for you to see among you, right? So, So Paul, again, didn't say, well, I felt a certain way, so you should accept that as fact. Or I saw something that couldn't be substantiated, so you should accept it as fact. He says, no, you you know, I, I did these things for you to see legitimate just like we, we emphasize the reality of Christ, the, the real historic figure, really, truly crucified, really, truly resurrected, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Jesus. You know what? I did the signs of an apostle, and you could see that they're true. He's stressing legitimacy, not imagination. Then he says, with utmost patience. First thing I'd want you to notice about that is, over time. Patience is tied to time. So over time, you saw this. Sure, he could be stressing the fact that he was patient with them. He could also be stressing the fact that he did these things even though he was persecuted and suffered for them. He's been talking about that. So he was patient. He kept going. He's legitimate. He wasn't a one-hit wonder that actually wasn't very good at what he did, i.e. legitimate. No, among you with patience. Patience comes from love too, by the way. We would know from him elsewhere with signs and wonders and mighty works. The miraculous. And the miraculous, let me, let me put it this way, the extraordinary 
are extraordinary. Even in the Bible, the extraordinary are extraordinary. When you read the Bible, you don't see that every person who's ever been a believer, starting with Adam and Eve, did signs and wonders in the miraculous. No, it's the exception, not the rule. The extraordinary is the extraordinary. So you can think about Moses and you can think about the signs and wonders and the deliverance that's tied to something extraordinary, right? The exodus, which doesn't happen every day in your heart. (laughs) These are big ticket items. And he's using verbiage here that's tied in Acts chapter 2 to the dawning of the new covenant. Extraordinary. Remember, he's been arguing like in chapter 3. He, he's talking about the new covenant, the covenant we've all been waiting for, right? This relationship with God that is gained and maintained based upon the work of another, a perfect one who we've been long awaiting, expecting. The new covenant. It's what we've all been waiting for. And when I preach the new covenant message about Christ, based upon Old Testament promises, when I preached that and said, this is it, or to quote Peter, this is that, if we want to go to Acts chapter 2, when that happened, it wasn't like with a, with, you know, with a dud. No, it's accompanied by signs and wonders and and great extraordinary things because it's extraordinary. In fact, it's the most extraordinary thing that's ever happened. The new covenant reality. We'll hear those words even this morning when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me because I am the greatest one. I'm the resurrected Savior. I'm the one in whom you must trust for eternal life. I'm the one of whom the Father said from heaven, listen to him, the one in whom I'm well pleased. It's it's so important. And so these faker apostles with fake, messed up, distorted messages, mixing things and diluting the gospel and perverting the gospel, they didn't have what I had. You saw it. You heard it with clarity with faithfulness, patience. And so when I say, I'm getting worked up about this. Because by the way, if you don't have the Apostle Paul as a legitimate apostle, then we don't have confidence that salvation is of the Lord. So, signs of a true apostle... Before your very eyes, Corinthians. So when I say, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus, by the will of God, you can take it to the bank. Because of the message I preached, accompanied by extraordinary signs. Something big happened. And it happened with Christ. You weren't cheated You weren't slighted. And you certainly don't need some super apostles. Notice the contrast. It doesn't get more super. Okay? We don't have apostles and then super apostles and super de duper apostles or whatever it is. If he's a true apostle with the signs and wonders, with the new covenant message, what's next? No, that's crazy to think what's next. 
The ultimate is Christ. Hebrews would have us to know that. Let's keep moving. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? And I'm going to stop there for just a moment. So what, what didn't you guys get? You, you, you got it all. Before your very eyes. But then he does say, we, after the comma, except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Talk about thick. It is, the irony doesn't get any thicker. Okay. Forgive me for giving you full-blown, whole deal, new covenant revelation accompanied by supernatural signs and wonders authenticated by God. Um, and what you didn't get is for me to ask you to pay me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't act like your buddies, the super apostle hucksters. Who, who I mean, we've already talked about this in the book, that somehow want to make the argument that you only get what you pay for. And something is only as good as, you know, you, if you want something good, you got to pay a lot of money for it. And so, from what we've learned earlier in the Apostle Paul contrasting himself, he's not peddling the Word of God as some super apostles. And he's saying, look, really? Seriously? You're going to evaluate the legitimacy of my gospel message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Because I, di- because I didn't charge you? crazy. He didn't ask for a dime. Not for himself anyway. He asked for support for other Christians who were suffering greatly, but not for himself. Again, you want to talk about genuine, authentic? Think about how perverted and twisted it is for, in light of this text for us to think the genuine and authentic asks for money. He's making the opposite argument. He went above and beyond to make sure he wasn't asking for money for his jet. I don't know what the equivalent would have been back then. A fast camel. (laughs) But, but when you, when you are saddened and heartbroken and maybe deceived yourself by what happens today, there is nothing new under the sun. It's just a different kind of version of it. Then verse 14 says, Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. One commentator said, in other words, fair warning. Not a threat per se, but awful close. With apostolic authority, I'm ready to visit Corinth again. Then verse 14 goes on to say, And I will not be a burden I'm not going to ask you to give me money. I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. And I love that. I love, 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 love that. I say, God, help me to have those kinds of desires as a Christian for other Christians, as a Christian for other people. 
I don't seek what is yours. I seek you. That's worth a prayer request. I don't seek what you have, what you can give me. I seek you. And earlier on, we've, we've caught um, fragrance of, fragrances of this from the Apostle Paul. That he's opened his heart wide to them, right? And, and, and he knows if they open their hearts wide to him, in other words, embrace and acceptance, it means they're in essence accepting and embracing the true biblical Christ and the true biblical gospel. And no doubt that's what he has in mind here. I, I, I just want your best. I just want you to understand total forgiveness, complete reconciliation that came at a great, great, great and awful price. But it comes to you freely. So I, I, I just want you to be won over. That's good pastoral ethics there, even from an apostle. Then let's keep going in verse 14. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. In particular, talking about small children. This, this is common sense, right? If you're a faithful parent, and even if you're not one, you, you understand this. What makes sense and is what's expected is that you would provide for your kids. Some people think the Apostle Paul is using this in a derogatory way because they're not grown up. Maybe, but I don't really get that sense here. We could fight about it after if you buy lunch. <laughs> I think it's, it's out of a big heart. You know, this is, this is like a parent providing for their child. And so I love you as spiritual children, not in a derogatory way. I, I'm just seeking your good and your welfare like a parent would. It doesn't make any sense. By the way, looking at you, super apostles. How perverted and strange and odd you're expecting the kids to work for the parents and provide for the parents. You guys are a bunch of hucksters. By way of contrast. Then if we go on in verse 15, we can see that he says, I will most gladly, again, another great, great way of saying something. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I love that. Resources and my very own self. That's, that's like Christ, right? At great cost to me for your benefit. I, I will spend and be spent. That's Christ honoring ministry, not like the super apostles. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? The fact that by now some of you aren't embracing me because I haven't been loving enough or whatever doesn't even really make sense. Then verse 16 says, But granting that I myself did not burden you, I wrote in my margin, because I did not, I was crafty, you say? And got the better of you by deceit? Again, you go, say, are, what? Because I didn't ask for a dime and, and 
twist things. Somehow I'm a deceiver and crafty. Think Genesis. Think the serpent. You've, you've got to be kidding me. But apparently that's what it's come to. Apparently that's what they've been whispering in their ears, if not uh, announcing from the rooftops with the Corinthians, assaulting the Apostle Paul and assaulting his gospel and assaulting his Christ. He's a deceiver. So crafty. This is crazy. How ironic. Okay, this is really ironic, and you don't need to turn there if you don't want to, but I have to, to make a connection. I drew boxes and lines in my Bible from crafty and deceit in verse 16, back to chapter 11, back to 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves. Verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself. Verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves. Ministers, servants of righteousness. So I guess now they're, they're calling Paul satanic and he's calling them satanic. Follow your heart and decide, Corinthians. No, that's not what he says. Based upon the objective realities, you know I'm telling the truth is what he's arguing. Now, you might be wondering at this point in time, why, why so hardcore? Again, our overriding philosophy in life is it's nice to be nice. Isn't that nice? Why aren't they nice at church? Somebody said to me this morning that they invited a friend and they didn't like coming here because I was mean. <sighs> That's not nice. I'm at least trying to match the tone of what seems to be the author's intent. And so if I were up here saying, with all the same kinds of mannerisms and voices, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would have eternal life but not perish, then that wouldn't be acceptable. But here, it's laced with sarcasm. It's forceful. It's strong. Why? Because a spiritual parent, not altogether different from a real parent, will do almost anything to protect their children from being taken advantage of. And so this is appropriate. No doubt it's appropriate. What, 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 what needs to be said and done? Whatever needs to be said and done. Verse 17 says, Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? What do you think the answer is? No! Get warmed up because we're going to do that again. I urged Titus, verse 18, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? No! Did, keep going, but, but you might have to change your answer, okay? Did we not, did we not act in the same spirit? Yes, of course we did. One more time. Did we not take the same steps? Yes. True gospel promoters sound the same. True gospel promoters do the same kinds of things. We were all on the same page. 
No doubt because we believed in the one true risen Christ who himself said it is finished. Right? And we're ambassadors. We're not hucksters. We're not, we're not manipulators. We're not salespeople. We've been preaching Christ, good news to sinners. And, and this is what Titus did, and this is what the other unnamed guy did, and this is, this is just how it goes. This, this isn't, this isn't, this is standard operating procedures. But apparently, um, Paul's being criticized as opposed to the others, or they're all being criticized, and he's saying, no, 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 yes, yes. And then we go to verse 19, we better keep moving. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? So it's like a legal proceeding. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm the judge here, and I'm gonna re, I, 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 because he's defending himself. So when you defend yourself, you defend yourself in front of a judge. So he, he's saying, now, now let me get this straight. Have you been thinking all along that this is how Christianity works? Have you been thinking all along that that I was trying to somehow make you happy? That that is not my calling. That's not what an apostle of Jesus Christ is. Right? You've been been really wrong-headed about thinking how church works, if I could put it in those terms. Then he says... It is in the sight of God. There, there's demographic, there's target audience, there's the affluent one who's neither young nor old. He's eternal, but I digress. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Could be in His name, on His behalf, the truth about Him. In other words, the gospel, because that's what Christ would want you to speak. It is in the sight of God that we've been doing this. And all for your upbuilding, for your edification, for your good, for your spiritual growth. Beloved, he's not meanie guy. He cares. But I do love the, the paradigm. All of this, preaching Christ, emphasizing Christ, it's all about Christ. It's in Him we find redemption. It's in Him we have forgiveness. It's in Him we have reconciliation to God. It's in Him we have the reality and fulfillment of the new covenant. It's in Him you have eternal life. It's in Him you have all, Him and all of His benefits all the way from, from eternity past into glorification. It's in Him. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. And you know why we've been doing that? Because God is our judge. We're accountable to God. He's the one we've been trying to make happy. But you know what? It's actually what's good for you. Beloved, it's good news to you. It's always weird when there's resistance from professing Christians about Christ. And it should always be weird. Maybe it's just our sinful tendency. You know, Pastor, could you tell me more about me? Well, you know, I didn't get much out of that. Well, you know what? I wasn't trying to make you happy. Well, that sounds mean. I shouldn't have said that. He wants to make God happy. And you know how to make God happy? If you're an apostle of the Lord Jesus, by the will of God, you boast in Christ and you tell them about Christ and you tell them Christ is their only hope. In life and in death, it's all about Him. It's Christian ministry. 
Go start a different religion and talk about self. But, but, but this, this isn't it. But in reality, it's not what's bad for you. In reality, it's what's good for you, is what he's saying to them. And it's what I want to say to you. It's all for your upbuilding. It is about you, but not in the way you think. It's about your benefit, but not you being the evaluator and judge. Let's keep moving. Verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Okay, so I'm planning to come, but you know my fear is that we're not going to be on the same page. That we're not going to have this problem solved. You're still going to be misled by different gospels, different Jesuses, by super apostles. And I'm still going to be preaching Christ as your only hope. I'm afraid that when I show up, it's not going to be good. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That's what I'm afraid I'm going to show up and find. By the way, in contrast to the unity that Paul and Titus and company shared. It would be wrong to think that somehow Paul and Titus and all of the other Christians all had everything in common. And so that's why they got along. Because they were all from the same hometown. They liked the same football team. They liked the same thing at Thanksgiving. Just being silly. But the reality is, they're Christians and so they agree on the gospel. And they agree on the message. And, and you know what else is? They can get along with one another because there's something greater than them. Honoring, pleasing God for the benefit of other people. So they've been emphasized, stressed as being unified. And Paul is concerned that when he comes to Corinth, there's going to be division and, and, and fighting and backbiting and envy and gossip because they're not united by the reality of the one true faith in the one true Christ. Because then you can have all kinds of diversity, even in Corinth, but they're united by the one who has them in Christ, united to him by faith. It's pretty amazing to think about how diverse Christians can be when it comes to other things. If you look around in this room, we have a few different hobbies. Just all kinds of different things preferences, backgrounds, where we've come from. Some of you have come like me from the right side of the tracks. Others of you from... Never mind. I'm not going to tell any Iowa jokes today. Come on. I had to go there. But in all seriousness, there's all the diversity. And it's okay. It's fine. But we don't have to be gossiping and backbiting and divided and all of these things like the Corinthians were, because we have the un unity in Christ. Then we keep going in verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. In other words, that my heart's going to be broken. 
And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. And I don't know about you, but if you've been working through 2 Corinthians like lots of you have, that that feels a little bit out of left field. It sounds a little bit out of left field. Like, what? Why do you bring those things up? I think the reason he's brought those things up, go back to 1 Corinthians in your mind, in chapter 6, where he's talking about unbelievers, all of these different sin enslavements. And you've come from this kind of background, and that kind of background, and this kind of background, and that kind of background. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were cleansed. And he goes on to talk about all this great new covenant reality of being united to Christ by faith. I think what he's saying is my fear is when I show up, it will look a lot like nobody here believed the gospel. You're, you're just back to where you were before Christ because you've embraced another Christ. And that would be heartbreaking. That's his fear. So he's going to call them to repentance, to change, and to return to the one that they professed faith in to begin with. Pretty heavy stuff, right? We're going to get done with 2 Corinthians before Christmas so I can preach a Christmas sermon. No sarcasm. Okay. But I hope we can see That there is no real Christmas celebration if we're embracing something other than the real Christ, other than the real gospel. It's not good news anymore. And so there's a time to be very serious and 2 Corinthians is that time. In 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 11 where we have our communion text, he does call the Corinthians to live lives that honor God, not dishonor God. Kind of a similar theme to what we're seeing at the end of chapter 12. True Christians are perfect? No. Christians struggle with sin. The Apostle Paul, even as an apostle, as a Christian, still called himself chief of sinners. And Christians struggle. But the reality is Christians are called to live in a way that's not an absolute contradiction to the gospel, but complements the gospel, that expresses a life of gratitude unto God for what he's done for us in Christ. And so that's why in in 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about examining your life. So when you eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus, it's not one big, gross, disgusting, flagrant contradiction. We should keep that in mind. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. But we do know that God doesn't leave us alone. And so we are called in 1 Corinthians 11 to, to, to live out of gratitude unto Him, seeking to honor Him and please Him by the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, knowing that God has fully accepted us in Christ to live for His honor and glory. 
Let's pray, and we're going to be served the bread and the wine, and we'll eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for Second Corinthians. It's been such a hard-hitting letter, but also in a great way. Please use Second Corinthians by the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of this church and in the, and in the life of others that we would want to live for your honor and glory, that we would do so not because you would eventually accept us if we do enough, but because you have accepted us because of Christ and what he's accomplished. We're grateful this morning that you have given us this good gift, this sacred gift, this extraordinary gift, where we take ordinary things, bread and wine, knowing what they symbolize, and we eat and drink even as Jesus said, in remembrance of him. Indeed, he is our great new covenant savior. And Lord, as we eat and drink in remembrance of Christ, may our hearts express gratitude unto him for what he's accomplished. Use it supernaturally even in our life by the power of the spirit. And also work in our lives so that we would leave here today remembering Christ, resting in Christ, but even motivated out of our rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.